I want to read to you from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. And then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Word of God for the people of God. So at the beginning of Mark's gospel, we observe Jesus being baptized. And um, he is just, at first, one of many, standing knee-deep in the muddy Jordan, waiting for John to dunk him under. Just another person in the crowd. But when he was baptized, the heavens opened and the Spirit descended like a dove. And then there was a voice from heaven. They said, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. That didn't happen to anybody else who got baptized. So that sort of set Jesus apart from all the other people who were drip drying in the sun on the bank. This voice singled him out. And uh, Fred Craddock paraphrased the voice like this. This is who he really is. He looked like just another middle-aged man getting baptized, but he was God's son. This is who he really is. And and right before they went up on the mountain, Jesus predicted his death. He told them quite plainly that he was going to die. Peter had a hard time accepting what Jesus said. It frightened him. It it frightened all of the disciples. So Jesus took them up on the mountain, and uh, there he was transformed. He was transfigured right in front of them. And when this happened, there was the voice from heaven again. And this time it said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. You're going to see him suffer and die just like he told you he was. You will see him beaten, and you'll see him hanging on a cross. You will see him buried in a tomb. But you look at him right now because this is who he really is. And it's an experience that gave the disciples strength in the weeks to come. They saw him arrested, they saw him beaten, they saw him crucified, they saw him uh, laid in the grave, they saw his dead body taken down from the cross, but this is who he really is. 
And the one you see transfigured on this mountain, this is who he really is. And that gave them strength. And I think we need this experience as well as we enter this time of Lent. We will remember his sacrifice. We will remember his suffering. We will remember his death. But we'll remember seeing him standing here on this mountain transfigured. And we'll remember this. This is who he really is. And we, we, we hear this voice uh, speak at Jesus' baptism, which is the beginning of his public ministry. And then we hear the voice speak again at the Mount of Transfiguration, which is the beginning of Jesus' passion. It's, it's the beginning of all these events that we remember during Lent. And in spite of all the things we will go through in Lent, we're told to remember this is who he really is. There are a lot of similarities. If you remember the stories in the Old Testament about Moses going up on the mountain, there's a lot of similarities between what happened to Moses and what happened to Jesus. For one thing, there was six days between the last event and the time they went up on the mountain for both Moses and Jesus. In both instances, the scripture mentions six days. A cloud covers the mountain. God speaks from the cloud. And Moses actually had three companions with him when he went up the mountain. Uh, Nadab, uh, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu started up the mountain with Moses, but they chickened out. They wouldn't go all the way to the top. Uh, and then Moses' appearance was transformed while he was on the mountain. His face became radiant. And the reaction of those who saw Moses transformed and the reaction of the three disciples who saw Jesus transfigured is the same. They were scared. They didn't know what to do. So you might think that Peter, James, and John would have been a little better prepared for what they saw up on that mountain. I mean, after all, they knew the story about Moses. They had also seen Jesus perform all these miracles. They had seen Jesus heal people. They saw Jesus heal a man of leprosy. They saw Jesus heal a man who was paralyzed. They had seen Jesus heal a man who was blind. They had even seen Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. You'd think something like this wouldn't be so shocking to them, but it is. They weren't ready for it. I mean, they were terrified. They were scared to death. And, and like Moses' buddies, if they had known what was going to happen up there, I think they would have chickened out too. They would have said, well, Jesus, thanks for the invitation, but you know, uh, I've uh, got a big fishing trip coming up. We've got to tie some flies. We've got things. And so I appreciate it, but uh, we'll, we'll be there in spirit. And Jesus was transfigured right before their very eyes. And as we read this story, he is transfigured before our very eyes too because we're there with them and we see what they see. And Jesus' clothes became dazzling white, whiter than you've ever seen on any laundry detergent commercial. It's as if Jesus was glowing. And then out of nowhere, Elijah and Moses just show up. 
and they're all talking together and having this conversation like, like any of this is normal. Uh, there are those who say that you know, Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets, but whoever they represent, they're there talking with Jesus. And it's, it's surreal. It's this otherworldly kind of scene. And it looks like something right out of Stranger Things. You know, some people, when they're frightened, they become too scared to move. They can't say anything. They just freeze. Peter was not so lucky. <laughs> Apparently, when Peter was frightened, he started talking. He shouldn't have, but he did. He didn't really know what was going on. He didn't really know what to say, but he said something anyway. Rabbi, I am glad we're here, he said with his knees knocking. Let's build three booths. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Peter wasn't sure why he said that, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. We've all had that experience. I remember being in a meeting and praying, dear God, don't let me say anything stupid when they ask me. <laughs> and I have to tell you, God did not answer that prayer. And after, so you wonder, why did I say that? What did that have to do with anything? We've all, we've all been there. And that's, that's how I see what Peter said. You know, some people want to know, what's the meaning behind what Peter said about building the three booths? And I don't think there is one. I think Peter just blurted something out because Peter was scared and he didn't know what to do. You know, I've noticed some people, when they get nervous or scared, they just start talking. They won't stop talking. They just keep talking. That's Peter. So in the midst of this, this cloud showed up. And God, in his grace, rescued Peter from himself. And God interrupted and he said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Peter. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> just stop. Just listen to him. See with your eyes what's happening. Listen with your heart to what's happening. And in spite of everything you're going to witness soon, in spite of all the things you're going to see him go through, this is who he really is. And suddenly, everything was back to normal. The cloud disappeared Jesus' appearance was back to normal. Moses and Elijah were gone. And they, they walked back down the mountain together in silence. Peter wanted to say something, but he refrained. And then Jesus spoke and he said, tell no one what you've seen until after the resurrection. Tell no one. That sounds like really odd advice because I am sure that Peter and John's and James could not wait to tell somebody what they saw up on that mountain. I'm sure they were bursting to tell somebody what happened. And, you know, people like to point out that, you know, this fits a pattern in Mark's gospel because Jesus often healed people and told them, tell no one. 
uh, Messianic secret and all that. But I think there's more to it than that. Because Jesus said, tell no one until after the resurrection. Why did they have to wait? I think it was because they still didn't understand who Jesus really was. They didn't understand what he had come to do. And if they had ran out and told the story of the transfiguration, they would have gotten it all wrong. They would have told it wrong. Because they still didn't understand that there was a cross to come. There was suffering to come. There was times of despair and hopelessness to come. And if they had told the story then, they would have told it as just another dazzling miracle story, just another victory along the way, just Jesus being awesome again. And there would be carnival music in the background, just another story about Jesus, the conquering Messiah. They would have told it all wrong. So they had to wait. They had experienced a few other things. They had to know the fear of hearing the footsteps of the guards coming to the garden to arrest him. They had to experience the hopelessness of seeing his dead body taken down off a cross and put into a grave. They had to know the fear and the incredible joy of seeing Jesus stand before them alive, resurrected from the dead. Then they could tell the story. Then they would understand what really happened up on that mountain. Then they would understand the story properly. I've told some stories about my own life publicly in the last 10 years that I have never told before. Some of them it's taken me over 40 years to tell. Because some experiences take a long time to understand. Some stories take a long time to tell. And this is why you should never discount a woman's story of sexual abuse that happened years ago, or man's either, for that matter. I hear people say, well, why didn't she say something back then? Because some stories take a long time to tell. And you can't tell them right away. You have to experience some other things before you can understand and find the power to speak to what you've experienced. And so Jesus said, wait until the resurrection. Then you can tell this story. Because then you'll get it right. And honestly, I, I still don't think we know what to do with this transfiguration story. I mean, what does it mean? How does it apply to us? And so that's why I'm going to ask you not to rush to any conclusions. Don't go telling the story too soon. Hold it in your thoughts. Mull it over in your mind. Take it with you as we enter this season of Lent. Think about it as you kneel and receive ashes on your forehead Wednesday and hear the words, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. 
reminding us of our own mortality. Think about it as we experience again the fear and the love and the courage at the Last Supper, Jesus praying in the garden. Think about it as we experience standing at the foot of the cross where Jesus dies for us. Think about it as we stand in a locked room with the disciples and see with our own eyes the risen Christ alive before us. And let all those experiences wash over us and let them remind us this is who he really is. Then maybe we'll understand it a little better. Maybe we'll find our tongue. Maybe then, after all these years, we'll be able to tell the story of who Jesus really is. Maybe then, we'll be able to tell the story and tell it right. Amen?